Wow, so good to be with you. Can we give it up for our choir that is back? Oh man, do they sound good? Of course, our other worship team members as well. I don't know if you know this, but they are here around 7.30 in the morning. On Sunday morning, they stay all the way through the last service. So grateful for them, our, our tech team who does the same thing. We are so grateful for their sacrifice. Uh, I'll tell you what else I'm grateful for, the reports I'm hearing about Love Norwalk yesterday. Anyone that was there yesterday, raise your hand. Yes! What an incredible time to show the love of Christ to our community. We know that our community probably won't all come to us, so what, what do we need to do? we got to go to them. And Love Norwalk is such a great thing. I heard a report this past week. It just blew my mind. Pastor Charles told me this. He's in Port Clinton today teaching, but he, he said that, you know, if we just went with what the chapel gave when it came to donations, we almost had all of it covered already. And when it comes to the volunteers, we had more than we could even handle. I mean, I'm just so proud of this campus, and I know God is just so glorified for what you've all done. So thank you so much for doing that. If you are a guest, a special welcome to you. Uh, we hope that this is a place where you can explore, where you could say, maybe this could be a part of uh, my life going forward. And so if you're a guest, we just ask you uh, to text the word guest to that number on the screen. Or in your welcome program on the back, you can fill that out. Our connect card put in our giving boxes on the way out. And if you do that, in your honor, we're going to purchase meals for those who maybe can't afford meals or are coming to our Nehemiah Center in Sandusky just to have a hot meal and to find love. And so we get to partner with Nehemiah Center, which is an after-school program in downtown Sandusky, and we get to love them in a special way. So when you text in just to say thank you for being here, we're going to donate meals in your honor. A couple more announcements here. When you came in, hopefully you got what this looked like. This is our class schedule for the fall and winter. Uh, we want to continue to take next steps in our faith as we become like Jesus. And we set up these classes to help all of us take those steps. I'm just going to walk through some of these classes. It's incredible. The why of worship, understanding the beliefs and values that shape our weekend services. Our worship leaders are leading that. If you want to become a chapel member, we have a class in September for that. Medicare basics, I know for those who are wise in age, uh, you have questions about that. We have a class just to meet you in that way. Exploring and, um, and beginning a relationship with Jesus, if you're just exploring and you don't know what that looks like, we have a class for you. Uh, we have a class just on the Psalms, discerning God's will, how to make sure our finances are in a way that honors God, financial wisdom class, parenting 101, give them grace. We probably all should sign up for that, parents. And then finally, uh, spiritual rhythms here at Norwalk Campus. So many classes for the fall and winter. You can either scan that QR code at the bottom of your sheet, and it'll take you right to the website, or you can just go to our website or text in uh, any of these classes, start to sign up, because they do fill up very fast. Finally, if you are married and you want to continue to make your marriage matter, uh, Friday, September 3rd, uh, from 6.30 to 8 in Sandusky, uh, we are doing what we're calling choosing marriage, why we is greater than me. How do we choose selflessness in our marriage? So if you need a marriage tune-up, or maybe your marriage is falling apart, or you just need people around you to encourage your marriage at this time, uh, we would love for you to join us for this awesome opportunity. So make sure you sign up or just come to it at that time. Thank you. I want to begin today just by explaining, um, I, had, I just had a hard week. I don't know about you, uh, I heard it once said that if we're not in a hard time, we're either coming out of a hard time or we're about to go into one. And for me, this week was hard. A very close friend of mine, we found out that she has cancer. And boy, that just ripped me apart. It was one of those things where you just didn't see it coming. 
She wasn't uh, really sick, at least we didn't know it, and bam, she was sick, diagnosis, and now we got to figure out what's next. Another friend of mine who goes to our Sandusky campus, he had uh, pancreatic cancer surgery this week, hoping to get everything out, but he is just a little bit older than me with two young kids. And I had to have a hard conversation with a friend, uh, actually a friend who Paul and I have been friends with for a long time. You know how life goes. We had uh, a falling out, actually, last fall, and we tried to reconcile this past week, and we got to talk, but it didn't go the way I wanted. So I don't know where you're at this week. Maybe you can relate to a surprising diagnosis. Maybe it was somebody in your life where you'd have a hard conversation with, or whatever those battles you're facing internally, whether that's mental health battles or spiritual battles or relational battles, all of us are suffering in some kind of way. And as we continue on in the book of Revelation, we're going to look at chapters 15 and 16 today. And I love how chapter 15 begins. In verses 2 and 3, as suffering and evil and all these things are in the background of Revelation, the people of God turn their attention back to Jesus. And I'm just asking this morning, as we begin our time together, wherever you're at, and whatever is diverting your attention from Jesus, I'm praying that this text will bring us back to the heart of it all. And so this is just the church praising the Father in, in, in Christ and the Holy Spirit in verses 3 and 4. And I just want to take a moment just to read these verses, and I just want to pray for us. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Just think about these words. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nation. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for the righteous deeds have been revealed. Let's pray together. Lord, I lift up those today who are struggling those who in the background of their lives are going through what a lot of these saints were going through at that time, pain, suffering, loss, confusion. And Lord, it feels just so refreshing to know that we're not alone, that you're on the throne, that your ways are just and right. And that God, when we divert our attention to everything else but you, how chaotic life is, but when we bring our attention back to you, no matter how chaotic life is, it's a lot more peaceful. So help us to worship you just like these saints do, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. I wish we could continue to say the rest of chapters 15 and 16 are this positive, but they are not. In fact, if you've been with us over these past few weeks in Revelation, you've noticed, man, there's a lot of judgment happening. And we continue on in that judgment in Revelation chapter 15. In fact, look at verse 1. It says, it says, then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. So we're about to see the completion of God's wrath finally after all of these chapters that tell us about God's judgment and his wrath. And we're going to see these uh, judgments poured out in what we see as these bull judgments. Verse 7 says this, then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God who lives forever 
and ever. So we see that the judgment of God is equal to the wrath of God. And if you're like me, I like to read about the love of God, the kindness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, everything of God except the wrath of God (laughs) or the judgment of God. And if you have a problem with God and you're like, this is the reason, because he's wrathful, because he executes judgment. What I want to tell you is we need him to do that. We need God to be just. We need God to be fair. We may not agree with how he pours that judgment out, and frankly, it doesn't matter, because God is God and we aren't. But when it comes to judgment, I promise you that though you may struggle with the concept, you need it to happen. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you found somebody stealing money from you. A lot of different money, a lot of money. And you go to court, And the judge is there, and she looks at your court case, and it's an open and shut case, and she says so. She goes, listen, I I can tell that this person stole money from you. And you're excited because, hey, this is going to work out in your favor, except the judge says this. She says, hey, um, I think this person probably needed money more than you, and so I'm just going to let this person go. Case closed. What would you say? You'd be like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I thought you were a judge. I thought you were fair. We would be upset and incensed if that would happen to us. Why? Because a judge is supposed to be fair. It's supposed to be just. It's supposed to rule in a way that is objective, no matter how subjective one feels at that moment. That's what we need God to do too. God needs to be just because we as humans have not done a great job of living fairly. We've done things to hurt God We surely have done things to hurt other people. And we need God to make everything right in the end. We need him to be fair. We need him to be just. And a lot of people pit God's justice and wrath against God's love, but actually God's justice is an extension of his love. I love what N.T. Wright says. He says, justice is a manifestation of God's love. It is all about God putting everything right in the end. We need God to be fair. We need God to be just. We need him to look at all of the injustice in the world and in our lives and what's happened against us and say, I'm going to make everything right. A loving God would do that, and our God does that. And so what we're going to see in chapters 15, and especially in chapter 16 today, are the, are the final judgments, these bold judgments, and we're going to see how God in the end makes everything right. And so I can't cover all of the judgments for you, but what I did do is put them in this kind of chart. And so if you have your phone, you want to take a picture of this, or if you email me, I'll uh, send you a copy of this, though I'm on vacation this week, so I will not get back to you for a little while. But these are the bold judgments that you'll see in chapter uh, 16, verse 2, all the way to chapter 21. And what I wanted to try to show you is there is a judgment for the sins that we see all throughout not just scripture, but for our lives, whether it's faithlessness and idolatry, murder, rebellion, slavery, conflict, pride. God is finally saying, look, enough's enough. This has been happening from the beginning. It's affected me. It's affected us. And so therefore, we need to execute justice over that. And that's what he does. And what you're going to see is when he is looking at these kinds of justice, they're going to look at the reference of Areas in the Old Testament where it refers back to, where it started and how it carried through. Now, I have to tell you, my mentor, Jim Samra, uh, helped me through this because it's a complicated passage. 
And we'll see that as we go. And so I want to pick out three of these judgments for us to really look at today. The first one are these sores. That is not what I would want to happen to me. And the references to Egypt, we see that a lot of these plagues are found against the Egyptians. And we're seeing them replicated here in Revelation. But it's not just the same thing that happened to Egypt. It actually happened with Job and the Lord. If you remember the book of Job, if you don't, let me just tell you real quickly what it's about. Job's faithfulness to God is tested. Satan and God have this meeting behind Job's back. And Satan comes to God and says, God, the only reason that Job is faithful to you is because you're just protecting him. You just are protecting him from all of these things. I promise you. That if you remove your protection and you let me go at him, he will curse your name. And God says, I know, Job. He won't. Go for it. And when you read the book of Job, you're like, man, Satan held nothing back. And he goes at Job. And one of the things that he allows Job to have are these sores, these boils. They're so painful. Now, we see this judgment on those who aren't following Jesus. They receive these same kind of sores and boils. But it's interesting how God flips this. Instead of allowing Satan to put this on God's follower, God puts this on to Satan's followers or those who have the mark of the beast. Are you ready to talk about the mark of the beast? Let's do that for a few months. Some of you are like, oh, I've read many books, Eric, so I'm ready to, um, to critique everything you say. That's fine, you can. Some of you are like, what in the world is the mark of the beast? And that's kind of where we're at when it comes to the mark of the beast. Some of us are well acquainted with it. I think too well acquainted. I'll talk about that in a moment. Others of us are like, what is the mark of the beast? So let's just talk about that for a moment. What is the mark of the beast? These people who have these sores are not just going to have these sores as God's judgment. Also, they're going to have a mark. Now we see in Revelation, it speaks about two different kinds of symbolic marks. One is for God's people and they're sealed with his mark to show that they follow Jesus. The other mark is called the mark of the beast. The beast is also known as Satan in Revelation. It's the opposite. It marks those who don't follow Jesus because they've rejected Jesus. Now, oftentimes, from here, we oftentimes look at what is it and what exactly it is. And I, I can predict it. And many times throughout our culture, Whatever the hot-button topic is, either in the world or around the world, we start to say, ah, there's the mark of the beast. And we try to figure it out. We did that in the year 2000. 21 years ago, remember this thing called Y2K? Everyone was freaking out. Everyone thought the world was going to end. When it hit zero and 2000 came, everyone thought the world was going to explode. And many of those who were around and said, see, this is where the mark of the beast is going to happen or it has happened and we're going to see the fullness of it then. And guess what? 21 years later, we haven't. You see, if we're not careful, Christ followers, and we walk around and we just label everything that we see happening in the world as the mark of the beast... We're going to turn out like this, the boy who cried wolf. Many of us remember Aesop's fable here, the boy who cried wolf. The boy who cried wolf was this boy who would tell all the townsmen, hey, this wolf is going after your sheep. And then they would get scared and go check. And he would do this over and over and over again. So finally, he kept saying it. And people were like, no, I know you're lying. You've been tricking us this whole time. And then finally, one day, the wolf's like, I'm about to eat. And he goes after these sheep, and 
The boy is yelling, hey, the, the wolf is going after the sheep. They're like, yeah, right. Well, this time it was true, and they lost their sheep because of the boy who cried wolf. I wonder if we're doing that now. I wonder sometimes, Christ fathers, when we, mark, when we say everything's the mark of the beast and it doesn't happen, that we're diluting God's truth that when it does happen, people aren't going to believe us. We've been saying this for centuries now. And we're making a big deal out of something that, yes, it is a big deal, and we need to learn more about it, and Scripture says a lot about it, but it isn't the thrust of Revelation. In fact, if we keep saying it's this thing or that thing, and it doesn't happen, then we mislead people using God's word, and God is clear, we cannot do that. We cannot apply God's word to a situation in which we think it's happening without it actually happening. Because that means we are destroying God's glory and through mishandling of God's word. And so if you are one of those people out there who think everything is the mark of the beast, I'm just asking you today just to be careful. Because when we read it in Revelation, it's not meant for us to cry wolf. It's meant for us to understand, you know what, it's a big deal, but what's a bigger deal is it's about Jesus. In fact, as we continue to look at this, you also have to remember, we talk about the mark of the beast, but if it's true the mark of the beast is happening, then we would also see things simultaneously happening. Like in chapter 13, we saw fire falling from heaven when it talked about the mark of the beast. And we would eventually see painful sores on those who have it. You just can't take a verse out of context without looking at the whole context of Scripture and say, if this is happening, then these things are happening. And if you've seen fire fall from heaven or you've seen sores on people's faces, come let me know. Other than that, I don't think it's happening yet. So what do we need to conclude with this? Is? We need to learn about it. We need to be educated about it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be. It is in Scripture, and we need to make it a big deal. But let's not make it the biggest deal. Because here's what's interesting. In chapter 15, there are people that literally have the mark of the beast. But what are Christ's followers doing? They're not trying to figure it all out. What are they doing? They're worshiping Jesus, like we just saw. It is not our job to point out everything that may or may not be happening. It is our job to point people to the throne of Jesus. So let's not be those who cry wolf. Let's be faithful to Jesus. And if we start to see everything else happening, then we can talk about that. But I just wanted to make sure to get that out, because I know it's such a big deal. And if you want to talk more about it after the service or later at time, uh, Reach out to Pastor Charles. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> I told him I was going to tell him that, and I mean it, so you can ask him. Let's continue on. Bull number five. This is found in chapter 16, verse 10 and 11. This time the judgment is on the darkness on this earth. It's a reference to Egypt's uh, enslaving those who were found in Israel. And the, the sin, I just said, is slavery. So we saw that Egypt enslaved the Jews, the Israelites, and that obviously was a bad thing. Why? Because it restricted their freedom. And we've seen that throughout the ages. Remember, they, these uh, judgments are not just something that happened then. It happened for all time. And we've seen slavery all throughout the generations, haven't we? Different races, different nationalities who have been slaved, and as a result, their freedom has been restricted. We still see this now. You may say, no, slavery's gone away. Well, it hasn't. 
My wife and I and my kids were at a conference recently. Uh, I got to speak at this family camp in this incredible, incredible mission organization was there called IJM, which stands for International Justice Mission. If you haven't heard of it, look it up. In fact, if you are a part of Renewed and you're a lady that comes there, we're going to bring an IJM representative to Renewed in November to tell us more about this topic because they are fighting injustice all around the world, specifically sex slavery. Kids. Kids. Women, predominantly being sold as property so that people can get their fix sexually. This is happening all around. That's why we need God to make things right. This is why this judgment is there. Because he did not create people to be enslaved. He created them to be free. And the judgment of darkness doesn't seem like it's a bad judgment, but what he is doing is restricting the freedom of all people it's kind of like a brownout where you can't get online, you can't see. It is pitch black. And if it's pitch black and you can't do anything, that means you have no freedom. And that's what God's saying here. You took the freedom away from others, and now I'm going to judge you by it, by taking your freedom away. Part of God's judgment. We need him to do that, to be just. And then finally, bowl number six, it's found in verses 12 through 16. And it's a reference to Adam and Eve and this judgment is the judgment of war and the sin that he is punishing is conflict. We've heard probably the term Armageddon. If not, you've probably seen the movie. Well, it's referenced in this passage. Armageddon is this central location where in the end, the fullness of good and the fullness of evil go to battle for one last time. Spoiler alert, our God wins. But we see this happening in this passage. Why is there conflict happening because it's happened from the beginning. The first two humans, Adam and Eve, there were conflict very quickly after they decided to walk away from God. And if you read the text in Genesis 3, Eve blames Adam, Adam blames Eve. They both get upset at God. There's an uh, enemy for it between God and Satan. It's just really, really bad. And there's been conflict from the beginning. And that's what this judgment, this war, this conflict of what's happening throughout the years I'm not just talking about war of nation versus nation. I'm talking about the wars that happen in our homes. The conflict that happens between spouses, spouse and kid, boss and coworker. It seems like there's conflict everywhere and even more so now. And God's like, I didn't create you for that. I created you to be at peace with one another. And because you've lived in this conflict from the beginning, I'm going to judge that. Because I need to make things right in the end. And so when I see these sins of faithlessness and idolatry and murder, rebellion, slavery, conflict, and pride, I think you and all can say, yeah, those are bad things. Bad things that happen to God, bad things that happened to one another. And if God is not good, then he wouldn't punish it. But he has to punish it. He has to judge it. He has to be fair in the end and make things right or he wouldn't be a loving God. Now you may sit here today and say, well, yeah, that's, down the road. That could be in five years, 5,000 years. We don't know when this is going to be. But what about now? Where do we see God's justice happening now? One of my favorite texts that deals with the justice of God happening now is actually found in the Old Testament in Zephaniah chapter 3. In Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 5, it says this. But the Lord is still there in the city, and he does no wrong. Day by day, he hands down justice, and he does not fail. 
But the wicked, they just don't know, they know no shame. And what Zephaniah is telling us about God's character is, yes, God's going to make things right in the end because he's a loving God. He has to. He has to punish wrongdoing. We need him to punish wrongdoing. The things that have happened to us, the things that have happened to others, the things that have happened to God, he has to punish those things. But where do we see it now? It's just day by day, and sometimes we don't see it, but we do. For instance, a criminal who ends up getting punished for his or her transgressions, and they go to jail, or they have to pay a fine, or whatever that is, that's justice. They did wrong, they didn't get away with it, and therefore there is consequences for that. We see that. Or the business person who has, do, has been doing things in a shady way for a really long time. They haven't been living by integrity and they've been ripping people off and all of a sudden they get caught and then they lose their business. That's justice. That's God making things right. Or, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but if you're in tune with our culture at all, especially the church culture, have you noticed how many pastors have been falling lately. Guys that I have their books on my bookshelf, that I've gone to their conferences, guys that I've listened to, guys that I respect, guys that I went into ministry because I wanted to mimic them, they are falling. And that's because God is allowing that to happen. Because God doesn't want a pastor leading a church that is not leading out of character and integrity and God's justice, his fairness to the people and actually to that pastor because he needs to get his life right is to allow him to fall is allow him to crash. That's God's justice. And what's so great about it, you and I get to join God in bringing justice to the world. The areas of life where we just say, that's not fair, or that's not right. We don't have to wait until the end of Revelation for God to make things right. He can make things right, and he is not on a solo mission. He wants to partner with us to do that. Again, N.T. Wright, he puts it this way. One of the beautiful things that distinguishes the Christian idea of justice from others is that it is participatory. We are part of bringing it about. If we aren't joining God and bringing justice to the world, then we are missing out on what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Because yes, we're supposed to love. Yes, we're supposed to be kind. Yes, we're supposed to show grace. Yes, we're supposed to give all these things. But we're also to bring justice where there is injustice and unfairness happening in this world. I have a verse that uh, actually Jeremy's wife, Karen, painted for me. Uh, my wife got it for my birthday a few years back, and it sits right above my desk, and it's this verse, Micah 6, 8. And it says, He has shown you, or moral, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? What does God say, Christ follower, here's what God wants from your life. If you're ever wondering God's will for your life, this is God's will for your life. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. If you want to know, I, I don't know how to be a follower of Jesus, or I don't know what God wants for my life today. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, and you're going to be just fine. We named my son Micah based upon this verse, and Micah fits the bill perfectly. He is seven years old. We are still trying to teach him humility and mercy, but he has the justice piece down pat. I can't tell you how many times in the back of the van or at our house or on the phone I hear these words. It's just not fair. And I'm like, man, Micah, Justice Lapata gets it. 
Now, some things are fair. He just interprets them wrongly. But there are things that he calls out that I'm like, you're right. It isn't fair. And what Mike is telling mom and dad through tears and emotions, which we just really have to get in check, pray for us. What he's saying is mom and dad do something about it. You can do something about this situation. Like my brother got to take a friend to Cedar Point. Dad, when am I taking a friend to Cedar Point? We are tomorrow because I had to do that. That's the fair thing to do. But he's demanding something out of his mom and dad that he knows that we should do. And I'm asking you to do the same thing. Where are the areas in your life where you see injustice? Where you see things that aren't fair? And in your heart, you're like my Micah saying, that's not fair. Don't wait for anyone else to do it. Don't wait for God to do it. God may be waiting for you to do it. I think of IJM, International Justice Mission. I, I can't help but just continue to think about the ways that they rescue people from slavery, either sex slavery, or they do this thing called work slavery where they get these boys and they take them out on these boats and they basically work them to death. It's another form of slavery. International Justice Mission was started because they wanted to end slavery on earth once and for all. They didn't just sit back and say, man, well, we know in Revelation chapter 16 that God's going to punish slavery forever, and he's going to. But I don't want to wait. I'm supposed to do justice now. So they started this mission. Or I love what we're doing at the chapel. If you're a regular giver at the chapel, do you know that your giving is a part of helping end slavery for some people? We have some women in Burundi that we partner with this mission called Kickoff to Hope that literally is helping get people out of prostitution. Pastor Mark was telling the story of how some of these women, they end up getting married. They don't have a dad in their life. So these missionaries become their dads and walk them down the aisle. These women who are slow, sold into sex slavery are now walking free and Christ followers are partnering with them. We get to be a part of that around the world. I, I think of in your workplace. There are people in your workplace that are being treated unfairly. I'm not just saying from the boss. There's not always things you can do about that. Though you can. You can be a whistleblower. But there are people in your workplace that are getting teased, that are feeling marginalized, that want to look for a new job because of how people treat them. Guess what? That's not fair. God's justice is to say to us as Christ followers, do something about it. Speak up. Walk humbly before your God. Love mercy, but also do justice. I'm thinking of you in here who are on a sports team. And maybe it's not fair how the coach is treating a player. Speak up. You may say, well, I may not get playing time. I tell you what, at the end of the day, as the years go by, you will be grateful that you didn't get that prayer, play, playing time because you did the right thing. And there's never, ever an excuse not to do the right thing. God is a God of justice, and we need him to be. We need him to treat things with fairness. And yeah, we don't usually see that until the end, but God's doing that now. And in the areas where you don't see God doing that now, I think that's because Christ followers haven't gotten there yet. We as Christ followers have to do something about it. And here's why. Not just because we're called to justice, not because we're called to be fairness, but Jesus did that for us on the cross. The just for the unjustly, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus took our place so that we can be with him for eternity. That was an act of justice. For Paul, he says this in Romans 3. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being 
fair. What was he being fair about when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past? For he was looking ahead, including them and what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in the sight when they, what? Believe in Jesus. What Paul is saying is this. It would have been fair for us to pay for our sin. It would have been fair for us to pay for our righteousness. But he held it back. But he had to do something with it. Because you can't just let it go because that's not justice. Instead of us having to pay for it, he put it on Jesus. And Jesus paid for it so that we could have eternal life with him. And that begins here. And as a part of partnering with God in this eternal life, we bring justice to others. Let me end with this story. I guess it's my son Micah day. But the other day, my son Micah, he, he's through a fit. Again, will you just pray for us? Oh, Lord Jesus. Man, it was just rough. And he got punished. He couldn't have a popsicle. It's a big deal in our house. Popsicles are like money in our house. You want as much as you can get. And I said, Mikey, you can't have a popsicle. He throws a fit. I said, Mikey, I have to punish you. So I was going to get a popsicle, but I'm not going to get one now. I'll let you have one. Hudson, my other son, said, well, Dad, it's your second popsicle anyways. I'm like, Hudson, I'm trying to teach him something right now. All of a sudden, Micah started to calm down. And I said, Micah, I'm not going to get a popsicle. And I didn't even later that night. To show you that you can have this popsicle. That means I can't. But it's worth it so that you can. Now, someone has to take the punishment. In this case, I will. In this case, Jesus did. Jesus is going to make everything right in the end, thank God. But until then, we ought to partner with him in doing so. Let's pray together. So, Father, we just bring this to you. And we thank you in the end of the justice that you execute on those who those who did not turn to you. But to those who have, you would have given the same treatment to, but you held it back because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we give our lives to you to love mercy, to act justly, and to walk humbly with our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me and let's recite our verse together. Would you repeat with me? Grace and peace to you from the one who is who always was and who is still to come. Have a great day.